such an amazing song. Talking about in the power of Christ, I stand. That's why we're here today. And uh, it's so amazing just to think about the life that we get to have because of Jesus. And I appreciate so much Jeff last week uh, talking about, okay, that's my time. I'm going to stick to that. Um, But I appreciate so much, there we go, Jeff's message from last week, just talking about how much we need Jesus. If you remember, his title was, we're messed up and we need Jesus. Anybody messed up in here? I need Jesus. I'll I'll speak for myself, right? But I'm so privileged to be able to continue in that same vein today. And I appreciate so much Tom and Jeff for giving me this opportunity to speak from God's word. What an amazing honor and privilege it is. And I want to talk about uh, this passage in Matthew chapter 11 because I've really been trying to focus on Jesus. I've been studying out the book of Matthew. And this passage has just been hitting me hard over and over again. And God has been really putting so much to really make me rethink my whole approach to life as a disciple of Jesus. And I hope that God can show us all something very special today. We're going to start in the conclusion of this passage in verse 28, very famous passage. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a a feel-good scripture, isn't it? I mean, it's like, how many of us resonate with this feeling weary and or burdened? Anybody feel that way sometimes? Ever felt that way in the last month or so? I mean, this seems to be a part of our everyday life, right? I mean, just constantly feeling just weighed down by all the, the weight of the world. How many of us have small kids in here? All right, my wife and I, we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're amazing and wonderful and crazy, and they're a handful and there's never a dull moment. And it's, it's amazing because a few weeks ago, I was on my way to a, meet, a meeting after church, and I was going to read this scripture. So I had this idea of weary and burden on my mind. And so Sarah goes and gets the kids after church. We have like 30 minutes to make it to this meeting. So she takes them. We're trying to get our stuff. We go backstage, and Nora finds this glass water bottle and drops it and breaks it on the floor. We're trying to clean up broken glass. We're like, oh, my goodness. And then Emma walks up with a cup, and she drops it. It was a paper cup, so that was a positive thing. But we're trying to clean up the the water, and while we're doing that, Emma walks over to this metal cabinet. She starts pushing on this metal cabinet, and there's this hard plastic case, and it's starting to fall off as she's pushing it. And Sarah's like, honey, grab it, grab it. So I go, and I I saved my daughter's life, basically. All right? I'm not trying to brag, but it happened. And so we finally get them in the car. We're going to this meeting, and Nora goes, oh, I need some water. We look back. She'd been chewing on a pen. The ink, it broke. It's all over her. Like, this is within five minutes. And Sarah and I look, we're like, it's like some Twilight Zone stuff going on. Like, what is happening? And I walk into that meeting about don't be weary and don't be burdened, and I'm feeling that. And and so no matter what phase of life we're in, right, we feel that. Whatever version of it you have. I mean, I talk to some of our high school students who are feeling weary and burdened. 
I mean, they're, they're burdened by their AP classes and their extracurricular activities, their marching band, their football, whatever it is. It's just like, whew, it's, life is tiring no matter what phase we're in. And so we read this and we're like, yes, Jesus, I need it. Please give me that rest. I need some rest for my soul. And then I think some of us might have this internal conflict when we look at this part of the passage when he says, my yoke is easy. And some of us might be thinking, this, I've been a disciple for a long time. I mean, this, this life of self-denial and sacrifice, saying no to temptation in the world, forgiving people, dealing with their junk all the time, I've never thought it was easy. Jesus, what are you talking about? And what is a yoke? You know, like, we're not talking about eggs here. And, and when you begin to look at what a yoke really is in this context, it begins to make some more sense. We know that a yoke is, is this device used in farming to link animals together. Whether they're, you know, carrying a load or plowing a field, you can't get them to work together unless they're bonded. So you begin to see what Jesus is saying. That if we're going to have the easy way, if we're going to have the light burden, we're going to have to link ourselves, yoke ourselves to him and take on his yoke. That this is the only way. You can't have one without the other. And I think we, it's easy to just skip over this part where it says, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I appreciate one of the main takeaways from last week was, am I walking with Jesus? Is that how I'm living my life? That's kind of an abstract concept, walking with Jesus, right? It's not a literal thing. And so I think when we're talking about that, really what it gets down to, so much of it is, am I learning? Am I learning from Jesus? If someone were to ask me, what have you learned from Jesus lately? Would we have an answer? I mean, we get so distracted that I think we miss the point that, yeah, Jesus needs to be the center of my life. And we forget that we need to learn from Jesus. And not just assume that we already know him. I mean, many of us have been around the church forever. Even before we were at this church, we grew up going to a different church. And we were always like in the Bible belt, many of us, right? In this part of the world, Jesus makes his way into our lives in all these different ways into our culture but is it the real Jesus from Scripture? And I think we got to be careful to not just assume that we know. And we're doing this series with the teens called Yeshua. And this is actually the words in Aramaic because the man that we're talking about who came and died for us, the Son of God, believe it or not, his name was not Jesus. His name was Yeshua. And obviously Jesus is a translation. Nothing wrong with saying Jesus but I think in our 21st century Western perspective, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't go deeper. We read a chapter just to get through a chapter. And we're not trying to look at what Jesus is actually saying and look at the history. Look at the culture that he's talking to. Look at how it connects with the Old Testament. All of these different parallels and symbolism and metaphors, we just glance over them. We take them at face value. And so often we miss so much of what Jesus is actually saying. I really believe that if we don't dig deeper and look at, at the, just the nuts and bolts of what's going on, we miss at least half of what God is trying to show us. 
at least half of what Jesus can and wants to teach us. And I just wanted to recommend some resources. Um, many of us know about the Bible Project. It's really been amazing because these guys are so dedicated to a close reading of Scripture and really unpacking the culture, the history, the language, because it wasn't written in English, and understanding what these words really mean on a deeper level. It's been awesome. One of these guys started his own podcast, Exploring My Strange Bible. Again, just looking so closely, because sometimes we're like, yeah, the Bible can seem kind of strange sometimes. I want to understand these things better. And these are resources that we can listen to when we're driving in the car, when we're working out. I mean, just ways to really understand things on a deeper level. And there's a book that I'm reading right now, and it's called Spirit of the Disciplines. Many of us heard this book. And it has truly transformed my approach. It's been amazing. But what it's really about is we can't do what Jesus did unless we prepare like Jesus prepared. And understanding how when we truly embrace the life of Christ, that God will transform us. And at the same time, we got to remember, again, like Jeff said last week, we can't just be content junkies, right? And just take all this stuff in and do nothing with it. What is the application that we can make to our lives? So let's go back to this passage. When we look at Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary, where is he coming from? What's leading up to this? What's his heart? What more can we apply? We back it up to verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is a very different tone from Jesus. That come to me, all you who are weary. I mean, he is clearly upset at these three cities. And what do we know about these cities? You know, they're on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you zoom in, you can see they're really close to each other. Five miles or less. And we can see from the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus spent so much of his time in these places. You know, as it says in the passage, most of his miracles were performed there. And so you, you see that he's calling these people, that they're seeing everything that he's doing. All the miracles, all of the teachings, and their minds are probably blown and he's been there. I mean, in Matthew chapter 4, he went and lived in Capernaum. And in Matthew chapter 9, he refers to it as, as his own town. Can you imagine being with the physical Jesus every day and seeing everything that he's doing? And Jesus calls them out, and he's like, guys, woe to you. And that's not something that we normally say, right? Woe to you. What does that mean? Well, when you look at the language of the original, you see that the word has this Hebrew root, which is just oi. And, and it, you know, the expression oi ve, right, comes from this, where Jesus is just like, oh, man. Why? He's expressing this grief. He's like, guys, you've seen everything that I've done, and you've done nothing about it. 
every miracle, every teaching, nothing is changing in your life. And your destiny is to go down to Hades, which is the grave. You know, we're not talking about Greek mythology. It's just the, the place where you die. That's where you're headed. And these towns, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, in the Old Testament we read about how defiant they were against God. Jesus says, they had a better heart than you did. They would have repented. You're seeing everything. You're changing nothing. Do you think there's any application there for us? Being around Jesus a lot for a long time, hearing about the things that he said and did, but not always doing something about it, not always repenting, not always having the proper response. I think we got to be careful, right? Because when we've been disciples for a long time, I mean, we become a disciple with five years pass. 10 years, 20 years. And in this church, we can say 30, 40, 50 years. We've been disciples, which is awesome. And we should celebrate the years that God has given us in the kingdom. But I think we can have the danger of just resting on our laurels and saying, yeah, I was baptized. Yeah, I'm a disciple. And it becomes a title rather than a descriptive term for our life. And it can, we can throw it around loosely, right? Yeah, I'm a disciple. Oh, you know him? He's a disciple too. Yeah, we're all disciples. Yeah, they became disciples, disciples, disciples. And it, we dropped the disciples of Jesus part. It's implied, though. We know that we're disciples of Jesus. But we know that when we said Jesus is Lord, we committed that discipleship is studenthood. It's apprenticeship. It means that we're learning from Jesus. I think we've got to constantly ask ourselves, when we say we're a disciple, is that really who we are on a daily basis? Because people are watching. I mean, when we hold up the name Jesus, we say we're a Christian, we're a disciple of Christ. It matters. It's an honor to bear that name. And people are looking to see if we're legit. Our coworkers, our families, our neighbors, our kids, they're looking to us. And especially with the younger generations, one of the most important things is authenticity. It's one of the highest values of the younger generations. Is it real? And one of the most repulsive things is fakeness, hypocrisy. And, you know, Sarah and I have been working with teenagers for a long time, almost 10 years. And it's unfortunately not uncommon to be looking at the scriptures with a teen about what it means to follow Jesus. And for them to say, yeah, I see this in the Bible, but my parents say they're disciples and their life doesn't match. <laughs> and we were sitting there like, what do we do with that? You know, it's like, well, people get off track sometimes. Maybe you should talk to them about that. But I think we need to look in the mirror. When, if we get frustrated about our kids or someone in our life not getting it, not turning their lives around for Jesus, and we can blame shift, and we can blame this person, and we could blame the church, but we're not blaming ourselves sometimes. We don't look in the mirror. Am I true to the name Christian? 
This is a wake-up call for me. My kids are starting to pick up on things a lot more. Am I legit as a disciple? I think we got to be careful and not take that term lightly. And Jesus goes on. It says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? That when we think that we're wise and learned and we have all the answers and we don't need anyone to give us the answers, Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You're not wise. You don't have it all together. That it takes the little child, it takes the humility to go to him and say, I need you. I can't do this by myself. You know, it's always amazing. Sometimes it gets annoying just how much, you know, little children, they ask questions all the time. Why, why is this? Why is that? What do I do? How do I do this? And you're like, just hold on. But that's their heart, to learn, to grow. They know that they can't do it by themselves. But I think so often we think we have it all together. And we live our life under this delusion that we can take matters into our own hands and not sit at the feet of Jesus. Even though he says all things have been committed to him. And we think, well, some things, though, I got it. Right? We, we think, okay, well, I have a problem in my character. I can fix it. There's a problem in my family. I have the solutions. Problem in my job or with this relationship. No, I can do this. And we want to control things. We want to do things on our terms. And I think we have to realize that the power does not start with us. The power to change, the power to grow, the power to be transformed comes from outside of us. And our role to play in that is to make ourselves available. I mean, when we stink and we need to get clean, our job is to take a shower, right? But the power is not in us. The soap and the water make us clean. And we have no hope without that, all right? But we do have a role to play. Put ourselves in the right position, and it will happen. And I think when it comes to our relationship of, of apprenticeship with Jesus, we gotta just go there, we gotta turn on the faucet. And we gotta let his word change us. We gotta let his living water make us clean. And I fear that many of us, and I can come up off track with this as well, we haven't turned on that faucet in years. Not really. The quiet time is a checklist. The relationships are shallow. The servant heart and servanthood, so much of what Jesus is, we don't do it. And oftentimes we say this, I just don't have time. Like, I really want to. I really wish that I could do these things to grow spiritually and grow my relationships and help my family and help my wife. And I just don't have time. I'm too busy. 
And I truly believe that the enemy has deceived us into thinking that our schedules control us and not the other way around. And we get so frustrated, right? We're like, I just, I want to do this and I can't do it. There's too much on my plate. Well, then let's take some stuff off. Like, what's stopping us, right? We know there's some things that have to be there. We got to work this many hours with our job. But then when you really look at it, you see where your time is going. Just like with your finances, you see where the dollars are going. But you prioritize to make sure you don't miss the important stuff. Because otherwise, we'll just keep banging our heads against the wall. And say, I want to repent. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to listen to you. I just can't do it. It's too hard. My life does not permit it. And then Jesus gives us the conclusion. He says, come to me. Don't worry about these other things. They don't matter. They're not important. If you're controlled by these things, that's what you're yoked to. If you just decide to keep going in the same way you've always gone, you're not going to be yoked to me. And when we really decide, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to listen to you. We'll just watch our problems melt away. Our, our frustrations at not being where we need to be spiritually, they'll just, just melt away. And we'll be like, oh, wow, Jesus, yeah, this is easy. This burden is light. But it's not going to happen unless we go to him. As we reflect on communion, I want us to reflect on this psalm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. When we take that time to study and learn and yoke ourselves with him, we're going to see what we've been missing. But as one of our teens pointed out when we were talking about this scripture lately, no one can taste that for you. Taste is a personal experience. And no Sunday sermon no Bible talk is going to change that for you unless we make the decision to invest in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Let's not take refuge in these things of this world, these distractions. Let's take refuge in him and trust that when we embrace his yoke, he will change our lives. Let's pray. God, Thank you so much for Jesus. God, we know that you created us to have a relationship with you. We know that we turned our backs and we rebelled. God, but that you decided to come on our level as a human being to show us who you are, to show us the life, to show us the example, the heart, the spirit that you want us to have, and that is in Jesus, in Yeshua. God, we want to learn from him. 
We want to be his apprentices and walk side by side each and every day. God, I pray that as we take the bread and the juice that represents his body and his blood, his death on the cross, that we remember his life as well. And that we realize that it's through his life, his death, and his resurrection that we too can have a new life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.